Andrew Doyle, welcome to Trigonometry. Hello. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kissin. And this is the show for you if you are bored of people arguing with each other on the internet over subjects they know nothing about. At Trigonometry, we don't pretend to be experts, we ask the experts. We're here at the world-famous Angel Comedy Club, and our amazing guest this week is a stand-up comedian, columnist for Spike magazine, and co-writer for Jonathan Pye, Andrew Doyle. Welcome to Trigonometry. Hello. So, uh, so Andrew, tell us a little bit about how you came to be sitting on that chair. Because you asked me to. <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple, really. Well, and what, what has been your journey? I'll just do anything that people <laughs> ask me to do. Well, you've had a, a great career already. How, how have you come to the point that you're at? You were a comedian first? Uh, yeah. I, well, I mean, I started out writing plays and sketches and this kind of thing. Um, and I was also a teacher at the time. And then uh, one night we did a sketch show. It was an hour long with a couple of friends. And we had a, a sort of 10-minute deficit. So I said, I'll just write, a, I'll try a bit of stand-up. And I did it. I mean, it wasn't very good, to be honest, but I enjoyed it. And then I sort of went into it that way. And then that became my sort of main source of income. So I went part-time as a teacher and then left teaching. And then this is what I do now, basically. And, and how did you get to writing for Spike and then uh, working with Jonathan Pye? Oh, so those are two very different uh, areas of my life. But um, the uh, Spiked thing came about because... Uh, I'd met a couple of the people who were involved with Spiked and um, the deputy editor, Tom Slater, got me to write one or two things um, because I, I agree very much with their stance on free speech. Uh, so I wrote a couple of things. And I became very conscious and I was aware of how unpopular Spiked is amongst the comedy circuit. Um, um, and there's a kind of stigma attached to the publication based typically on, on a lack of knowledge about what the publication is, uh, to be fair. Um, so I was a bit hesitant, a bit cowardly about it, actually. And I thought, well, I'm not going to make this a regular thing and then a couple of years ago about two and a half three years ago I got to the point in my life where I thought you know I'm going to stop just being mealy-mouthed about what I think I'm going to start saying what I actually think because I think honesty is really important it's quite self-destructive not to be honest mm -hmm. um, and also it's about respecting other people enough to, to be honest to them and know that, that they're not going to shun you for that um, so uh, I just started writing what I thought uh, for Spiked on a regular basis so I became a columnist for them uh, and it's been really great, I think. But um, some people don't share that view. <laughs> um, for for the benefit of our viewers and listeners who may not have encountered Spike magazine, could you describe it a little bit, what it is for them? Yeah, uh, it's a radical humanist uh, magazine. It has its origins in uh, Marxism. Uh, it's, um, I suppose, it's on the left, but it's libertarian, which some people see as a contradiction, but actually it is compatible. Um, it's very much uh, got... It's got, a, I mean, a lot of the... Uh, Authors disagree with each other on various points, but it has some broad editorial lines, uh, as all publications do. I'd say it's uh, it's very consistently anti-Trump, uh, anti-New Labour, anti-conservative. Um, it's very um, anti-racism, uh, pro-human rights. Uh, it believes in unlimited immigration, uh, no borders whatsoever. These are the sort of central pre premises. Uh, it, it also has an editorial line where it has a, ske a certain scepticism about climate change, which I don't share. Um, but on the whole, it's also uh, predominantly a free speech uh, uh, magazine. So, um, and that to me is one of the most important uh, things and the most important topics that we're facing at the moment. So I agree with more than I disagree. Thanks. And that's why I write for it. 
Fantastic. And you said that this free speech is a very important topic at the moment. Why do you think it's become more important now as opposed to five years ago, just to pick an arbitrary? I'd say something has happened over the past five, ten years. Um, and we have this kind of creeping authoritarianism that's occurring in, in, our, in our country and in the West generally. Um, and it, I think it's come out of a kind of misunderstanding and misapplication of political correctness. Political correctness was from my era. You know, it's from the sort of 90s, this idea that uh, we should have a kind of shared discourse, a shared understanding of the, the way in which it is polite to interact with other people in the public space, in the workplace, all of this kind of thing. Uh, which I'm very much on board with, and I think that's a, just a, a good idea, uh, not to criminalise the way that people speak, but to sort of have, have sort of shared understanding and, and, as a society, encourage and disencourage th certain things. Um, I don't have a problem. I think that's a really good thing. I think that's sort of morphed into something new. What's happening now, I wouldn't call political correctness. I don't think that's what this is. I think it's something else, and I haven't really decided what it should be called. I'm not, I'm not in a position to make that judgment, but it's not really political correctness. It's a new kind of identity politics, which is very much... Uh, focused on the intersectional grievances and the idea of victimhood as currency. And I think it's very, very damaging and extremely divisive. And I think it's something that needs to be resisted. It's also uh, a means by which censorship can be called for uh, from a position of virtue. And that troubles me uh, deeply because all of the civil rights movements, all of the movements from the new left uh, in, the, in the 60s and 70s, in terms of gay rights, in terms of feminism, in terms of civil rights for uh, racial minorities, all had at their heart a belief that free speech was essential because if you don't have free speech, none of those other rights will, will follow. Um, now we have a situation where people are prepared, particularly on the left, or the, what I prefer to call the liberal left, to sacrifice the fundamental principles of democracy and the fundamental principles of free speech uh, for something that is perceived to be a greater good. Which is what? Wh which is the protection of vulnerable groups. Mm. I find this to be not only uh, damaging to vulnerable groups, but it's a w it's a surefire way to generate resentment and divide society more and more and more. And we see what happens. We see what happens. Donald Trump is in the White House. I, I can't think that, I mean, he ran his campaign on the basis of being anti what he calls PC, you know. Um, it's, it's a kind of frustration that you see uh, amongst huge swathes of the population that they are continuing, they're poor, they've got nothing, they've got no hope. They've Ever since the third way and the Clintons and the Blairs, they've had nothing at all. And all of a sudden, they're voting for any kind of change. They just want to explode the system. They just want to change it. Uh, and they're told, while they're struggling and they have nothing, that they're privileged mm. and uh, that they, they are racist when a lot of them are not racist. The majority of them are not racist. They're told they're homophobic. They're told they're sexist. And they're continually battered in this way. Um, and it generates an awful lot of resentment. And then it backfires. So what I say to the, the proponents on the liberal left who push this kind of agenda is, you, this is self-defeating. You are destroying yourselves. I'm coming from the left, so I'm saying we need to do better than this because if, if we don't, uh, then the problem is going to perpetuate. But you see, somebody would then go, well, actually, what you're, you're saying this and you're, you know, you're in a very comfortable career. You are a man of privilege. You're a white man. Of course you would say these things because you've never been oppressed. There's a huge amount of assumptions in that statement. Yes. Yeah. Firstly, that I have a successful career. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think the jury is very much out on that. Uh, if I did have a successful career, I wouldn't be struggling for money all the time. But that, that, I thought you were going to say, say I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that. No, that would be rude. That would be rude. I wouldn't do that. I like um, that. That would be rude. Although accurate, it would be rude. <laughs> 
Th you see, uh, often the, the accusation of privilege comes with all, all, all kinds of assumptions. And what I've noticed is the people who peddle this idea tend to be from very upper-middle-class backgrounds. It, it seems to be a very bourgeois concern, identity politics, at the moment. I'm not saying in all cases, but certainly the most uh, prominent vocal elements of the liberal left you know, uh, tend to have double-barreled names, tend to have... I mean, the, the, the books that are being published about this stuff where people are desperate for victimhood... Um, tend to be quite well-off people, people who talk about their holidays in the Pyrenees when they were young and, and all of this kind of stuff. So I don't know where the assumption that I'm privileged is privileged for me. Of course, uh, people face homophobia and racism and all of this stuff, and we need to stand up against that. But above all else, what privilege comes from money, from contacts, from opportunity, from nepotism from all of the stuff that uh, middle-class people have. Mm. Only 7% of this country are educated at private schools, but they're disproportionately represented in the law, in the media, in journalism, in all of the major, in politics, all of the major uh, uh, positions. So really, if we wanted to, uh, to, to sort this out societally, we would address uh, that imbalance. So I would never say to someone, you're privileged because you are white. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, when Munro Bergdorf, the labor activist, said that you can still be uh, homeless and have white privilege, that is an incredibly insulting thing to say from someone who is so privileged, so upper middle class, um, and, and has had all these benefits. But as an ethnic minority and trans person, all of a sudden the, the, uh, the victim hierarchy shifts. And so someone who's homeless is suddenly more is privileged or potentially privileged. I mean, this is a nonsense. So I think we have to think in terms of class. I think if you're not thinking in terms of class consciousness, you can't really self-identify as left, in my view, although a lot of people on the left do seem to think that by, uh, by focusing solely and I must emphasize, that I'm not saying that uh, tackling racism and homophobia and sexism isn't important. It's key to what I believe in. What I'm saying is it is often done at the expense of class concerns. Now, there was, it would be one thing if, it was, if we were covering everything, but that doesn't appear to be, uh, or certainly my reading of it, that is not how, how things are playing out in, in a practical sense. So if you say to me, well, my argument is, is uh, undermined by the fact that I'm white, well, or the fact that I'm male, how do we know that I haven't been disadvantaged in, in other ways? How do you know? I mean, you well, don't I'm curious about that because we were talking just before we started, actually, and I, I asked you if you're gay because I read that you did a show that where you talked partly about that, and I'm curious yeah. that you haven't <laughs> brought that up in defense of your right to speak, which I find because interesting because that is the instinct we most of us now have, isn't it? To kind of go, wait, I'm oppressed as well, therefore <laughs> I'm allowed okay. to speak. I think it's irrelevant. I, and I think I, it, I think it would yeah. be irrelevant if I were a, a black gay female. I, I I think the argument is what matters. I think this okay. So this is where I think a lot of the liberal left are going wrong. It's, it's that they've forgotten how to argue. We don't have critical thinking at the heart of schooling anymore. I used to teach critical thinking at A level. Uh, it's really really key and it's important. The first thing you'll learn from a critical thinking course is as soon as you attack the person and not the argument, you've lost. It's an ad hominem attack. Mm. So um, anyone who in, in invokes uh, your race, your gender, your sexuality has already lost the argument. Um, it's not a, 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 an adequate argumentative technique. So that, to me, is something we need to get back to. You need to address the point. Okay, so let me give you for instance. So if you say to me, I, if I make a point, make an argument about identity politics, and you say, well, I don't accept that argument because you're white and you're male, right? What happens then when I introduce you to a woman, a black woman, who is making an identical point? So is the, point sudden, is the argument suddenly more persuasive? Is that what you're telling me? Now, this is the problem with people who peddle identity politics in its current form. They are undermining themselves. Because if your rebuttal depends on something that is individual about the person you're arguing, then when you, when you, when you are faced with the identical argument from someone who doesn't fit that demographic, you have nowhere else to go, and you've well, lost. they do have somewhere else to go, actually, because what they do then is they call that person a race traitor or a traitor to the gender, or the internalized misogyny, or whatever. Um, Self-hating. Yeah, you. exactly. Yeah. I can think of nothing more patronizing. And a woman saying to another woman, well, you're not thinking in the right way. 
I mean, that is underpinned by a genuine misogyny. Uh, or you're suffering, or you're an Uncle Tom, or you're, or you're self-hating. I mean, how, how dare someone make that assumption about someone? Maybe someone just disagrees with you. <laughs> and maybe that's okay, right? It's an interesting thing for me, because I'm from Russia. That's why I was, I was born in the Soviet Union, but I'm from Russia. And people say to me when in these kind of situations, well, you're white, you don't know what you're talking about. If, interestingly, someone who looks like me in Russia, I had people in Russia come up to me in the street and say, in Russian, literally, you are black, go home. Wow. Because people who look like me in Russia are the discriminated against minority. Okay. But no one in the UK could possibly know that without having a conversation with me first. Quite. Right? So they've made an assumption. They've made an assumption based on their experience as opposed to anything about my experience whatsoever. Right. So now that my oppression credentials <laughs> are firmly established... Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it, that we feel we have to we have to do that, that we have to establish those credentials. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. We, we should be able to talk about ideas, irrespective of who makes them. Mm. Surely, my problem with the whole with the whole debate about uh, and what is currently going on in the internet is I think it's quite selfish because I think a lot of these people do it not because they're actually interested in supporting uh, or progressing the rights of ethnic minorities or gay people, disabled or trans, or whatever it may be, I think they do it from a purely selfish point of view, whereby they do it to essentially propel their own careers and make a name for themselves. The trouble with that, I mean, I, uh, that could potentially be true. The trouble I would have with that is I'm very wary of ever trying to intuit motive mm. on behalf of the person I'm arguing against. It's, yeah. far, it's far better to just address the arguments as they are presented, rather than, because otherwise... You're more reasonable than me. Well, no, but, but <laughs> it's, it's all, you know, it's I mean, you might, you might very well be right that there's, yeah. there's this underlying kind of, because we know, don't we, that now victimhood has power yeah, attached right. to it, which is an odd paradox, isn't it? But the more of a victim you can present yourself as, the more the more currency you'll have. Now, we and there's political clout behind being a victim, and we know that now. But the problem is, if you, in, if I assume that someone is is not telling the truth, out of uh, uh, a desire for personal gain, then I am as guilty of the thing I've just accused other people of, which right. is yeah, I am not I'm I'm not addressing the argument. And also, you can defeat the argument irrespective of motive. So it doesn't matter what their motive is. Actually, if you've defeated the argument, then job done. So whether the, wh whether their motive is, is malevolent or benevolent, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You've you've still won the argument. So that would be my my suggestion uh, in that in that case. People often impute motive to me all the time. So um, I make these sorts of arguments, and it's and it's because I'm I'm a self hating gay man, or it's because I'm a racist, I'm alt right, all of this kind of thing. Because otherwise, they have to deal with the arguments I'm actually making. So it's much easier to mischaracterize your opponent and enter into a kind of straw man debate. That's much easier. Um, People are very uh, hesitant to address what's actually being said. It's a big problem. Do you think that uh, actually social media has just exacerbated the situation? Because now for people on social media, because they've got literally a computer screen in front of them yeah. and between their opponent, they suddenly feel emboldened to say whatever it is that yeah. they want and to make horrible claims and say horrible things to people that they would never dream of saying it face to face. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? It's the anonymity of the, of the online experience, of course. You have this kind of... Yeah, I mean, I've had it uh, recently. I was being, uh, I suppose you call it trolling. I was being trolled by a group of um, anarcho-communists. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> anarcho-communists. Yeah. Anarcho so, so uh, well, and what's anarcho-communist? Because I'm my mum's South American. Narco for means cocaine. No, anarcho. Uh, anarcho. Yeah. All right. So, so they're, uh, they're cocaine dealing communists. <laughs> it, it sounds like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? Yeah. Because if you're an anarch if you're an anarchist, you don't believe in the state at all. If you're yeah. a communist, you believe that the state should run everything. Yeah. But actually, yeah. Um, it's a kind of um, they don't believe in the state at all. They want to abolish the state entirely. They don't believe in wage labour. 
uh, the idea of employment or uh, that kind of thing. Um, and well, we're all comedians. We don't <laughs> believe in employment either. No, good. there we go. Um, so I'd say, sorry, um, <laughs> they... Uh, the pr- the, and they're very much, uh, you know, when you get involved with debates with people like this, they they, they are incapable of argument. They're, they're, their entire belief system seems to be based on faith. It, it's not not to do with, um, they, they can't rationalize. But when you're being a sort of troll on the internet, it, even if it's only a handful, like five or six people, it's, it feels like the whole world is against you. It's a bizarre, I've, got, I've got used to it now um, because, uh, particularly through a couple of the Jonathan Pye videos, I've had a lot of that kind of thing. Um, I've got I've got used to it and and I don't take it too seriously now and I just I just ignore it. But like you say, social media has exacerbated the problem hugely, and I think it's because these minority voices that aren't really very rational, that haven't read very much, don't really know very much, are suddenly amplified and they have this kind of power, um, and that leads to a kind of polarization of politics. And we can see it, can't we? We can see it's manifested itself. Uh, in terms of national politics as well, hasn't it? In terms of the the rise of uh, parties that are further to the right than ever before. We've seen all over Europe, uh, in France, in Italy, here to a degree. Uh, We've seen, um, uh, and the rise of maybe the more kind of leftist Corbynite style of politics as as well. So it works in in, in both ways. Um, And that, that, that worries me as well, is that you're either one thing or the other. And particularly the debates that I see online, it's very much, well, you've disagreed with me on this slight point, so therefore I'm lumbering you in the, the other extreme, uh, which is very, very, very dangerous. I mean, the example I would give is that because I write for Spiked and because a lot of people don't read Spiked and don't really understand where it's coming from, it's easy to just say, well, Spiked is an alt-right publication. Now, alt-right means, in com- common parlance, means white nationalist. It, it irrevocably connected to white nationalists. So how can a publication that's been consistently anti-racist for its entire existence that criticizes the alt-right explicitly, again and again and again, be alt-right. It can only be if you don't understand what alt-right means, or if you're being dishonest about, about, that, about that imputation. Coming back to freedom of speech, yeah, uh, w- we kind of got into a little bit of why it's so important, and I, I, you touched on the fact that freedom of speech is essentially a guarantee of all our other yeah. rights and, yeah. and opportunities. And I, I, I wonder how you c- can communicate that to people in the West now, uh, particularly younger people, because you know I grew up in my first probably 12, 13 years I spent in the Soviet Union, stroke Russia, yeah, and I grew up with tales of my grandmother telling me about how she was born in the concentration camp yeah. in a Soviet gulag for political prisoners. Yes. And the reason that she was born in a Soviet concentration camp is that her dad had meetings where they discussed fringe elements of politics. Yeah. And this was reported to the authorities. He was sent to the gulag, his wife much the same. And they spent 15 years each in hard labor camps. Yeah. And in this camp, in, 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 in my great-grandfather's camp, every morning the whole population of the camp would be let out onto the shore, onto the ice of the lake. This was in Siberia. Mm-hmm. Three people would be taken at random and thrown in the icy rivers, in the icy waters of that lake and killed in front of everybody. Yeah. To remind everybody what happens if you speak out of turn, yeah. if you don't follow the rules, etc. This was the price that people paid for speaking their mind. Yeah. Now, I don't think anyone in the West now has any conception of what that's like yeah. right we have no physical Im- connection to that kind of experience we don't have grandmothers telling us that so how do we explain to people people who are re- reading reading or listening or watching or whatever yeah that that is kind of what happens when you don't have free speech it's it's a path down towards that it's difficult because free speech is something that needs to be fought for 
in every new generation. It's something that needs to be maintained. And obviously what you're describing is such a horrific, unimaginable um, experience that we can't share. We don't have anything that comes close to that. I think a lot of the problem is that people of my generation and younger haven't experienced war or anything like this. We haven't had anything like that. So we take these freedoms for granted. Um, whereas actually we do need to guard against this sort of stuff. And comparatively, the free speech uh, um, fights that are going on at the moment in, in this country and in America pale in, in, uh, compared to something like that. Of course they do. Mm. So it's very easy to say, well, this doesn't really matter. But of course these things work uh, in an inch meal way, don't they? It's, it's one thing and then it's the next and these things gradually build and build and we've actually seen it uh, in our country. I mean, now we have a situation where people are routinely jailed for things they say, right? Now, you might say, well, it doesn't matter. It's just a few working class teenagers making jokes about Madeleine McCann on Facebook. They're not very nice jokes, so it doesn't matter, right? Well, that's the first step, right? And what happens next? These, these, uh, the law works in precedence. So then you get more and more people who are, who are at risk of this kind of legislation. Uh, and it leads, I know a bit about history, I know where this stuff leads. Mm. It starts in increments. So you have to battle it from the, from the, you can't just wait until it's gone too far. And I know that sounds alarmist, and I'm not suggesting we're gonna end up with a tyrannical government that's gonna shoot every third person or something like that. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting it's a possibility, and I'm suggesting that, that, that history teaches us this. Um, that individual liberty is, is, is worth preserving. But it, 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 it's an interesting point you raised. I mean, how much do you think, I mean, we'll just touch on Corbyn. Um, well, my mother's from Venezuela, and I don't know if you know what's going on in Venezuela. Yeah. But we're pretty much going the same way as Soviet Russia, depressingly. Um, if you are seen to be talking or criticising the government, mm -hmm. there'll be a knock on the door and you will disappear. Yeah. It's, that's literally where it is at the yeah. moment. And men in ski masks. We're less classy <laughs> <laughs> to come and take you away. Um, I find it very, very worrying that Corbyn has supported his supports of Venezuelan government yep. and does not offer a, a direct criticism of them. Yeah. Do you find that worrying? Because I say it to people on the far left and I get slammed down as being alt right. Yeah, but again, that, that, that feeds back into what I was talking about. That if you don't fully agree, then you must be part of the other faction. And not only that, the most extreme version of the mm. other, other faction. I have reservations as well uh, about some of Corbyn's sympathies. Um, I did vote for Corbyn, as, as it happens. Um, but I, I think all three of us did, actually. Oh, did we? last election, yeah. Right. Um, we all did. Well, for Labour, anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I, d I do have reservations. There's no doubt that what's happening in Venezuela is, 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 is going to seed. Uh, mm. You know, and... and um, and sometimes you, you have to be able to say, uh, I agree broadly with uh, many of his points, but actually he's getting this wrong. And there's, there's various things that he is getting wrong, I think, and we have to be able to talk about that. But I think we're, we're in a situation where it is that I, either you are on Corbyn's side or you're not. And that's not how politics works, because people are complex individuals with many, many different views, and you have to be able to debate each perspective don't you I, I suppose a counter argument to what you're saying about freedom of speech is where do you draw the line is it all right to use racial slurs for instance okay. is it all right for an islamic preacher to say to go on a box in some way i don't know in bethnal green for example mm. and talk uh, and say that uh, western civilization is an evil is evil and that it should be wiped from the surface of the earth because Surely isn't he excising his freedom, his right to freedom of speech? Uh, yeah, and my instinct would be that he should be allowed to do that. Um, I, I'm, uh, obviously, I'm not happy when I hear a preacher. I mean, I've had it. I've walked through, uh, uh, this is playing a victim card again, isn't it? I've walked through <laughs> Leeds City Centre, someone was shouting about homosexuals, yeah. uh, how they all uh, should be criminalised and all the rest of it. But you see, and, and of course, uh, a preacher calling for the destruction of the West. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so these are not pleasant things. Racial slurs, definitely not pleasant things. None of us support it. But I think the price you pay 
for living in a free society is that some people are going to say unpleasant things, right? And I think on balance, uh, that is the preferable scenario. Also, I'm, I'm troubled by the idea that we will reach a point legislatively where racists and uh, evil people uh, are, are unable to out themselves as such. I'd rather know who they were. I'd rather know where they are. And I'd rather they were expressing themselves because that way we can combat it. Uh, it. Otherwise, what you do is you drive it underground. You don't ever defeat an argument by censoring it. Anyone who knows anything about the history of censorship knows this. Uh, often you draw more attention to it, in fact. You give it power. Uh, you give it, it's called the Streisand effect. You, you give it a lot of power. We've, we've had it this week. Um, the BBC uh, Radio 4 are going to broadcast a full transcript of Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech. Uh, now, this was going out to a Radio 4 audience. No one would have noticed, no one would have cared, right? I'm not saying there aren't people who listen to Radio 4. I've written for Radio 4. I like Radio 4. Uh, but look, let's face it, these people aren't going to go out and <laughs> 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 go on a big rampage, right? <laughs> but because of the complaints and the, 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 the Twitter storm that's happened today, everyone's going to listen. Right, so yep. you've just drawn attention to the very thing that you would, you're not happy about. That's, that's all that's happened there. Um, so I would say in terms of free speech, um, we already have laws about harassment. Um, you know, if you, if you are harassing someone or libeling someone, I mean, there are debates about whether our libel laws are too stringent. I suspect they probably are. But we have those laws in place. I don't think that it's sensible uh, to curtail speech out of fear that it might influence people in a bad way because what you're doing then is you're you're allowing the perpetrators of crimes to not have responsibility for their own actions which i don't think is right so i'm actually very skeptical about the concept of hate speech full stop um because if somebody calls for you to go out and beat up gay men and then somebody does that the responsibility must lie with the person who did it uh, not with the person who said it so you actually think people should be incite should be able allowed to incite violence I think it's a really difficult com uh, question. Mm. Uh, I think on balance, I think probably, I don't want to see anyone criminalized for what they say or what they think, I it's think is true. It's interesting because I, I, I personally wouldn't go quite that far. I, I yeah. think for me, the cutoff is definitely the incitement to violence. If you're calling for other people to commit actions which are illegal, yes. right, then that shouldn't be allowed, in my opinion. Yeah, but you I would go further than that. I think I would. Uh, and, and just because I think we have to get back to the idea of individual responsibility. I also don't believe that people are these mindless drones that are just going to be influenced in this way. I, I have a much greater faith in humanity than that. I think we have autonomy. Um, I, I do, I am uncomfortable with anyone calling for violence. Mm. Very uncomfortable with it. I, I despise it. And I think protest, ridicule, these, these are the weapons to use against people like that. As, you, as soon as you shut them up, lock them away, you give them this odd kind of martyrdom that they don't deserve. You give them this glamour. Uh, you end up propagating the ideas that they're attempting to spread. Um, so that's why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be persuaded differently. Um, my instinct would be to never police people for what they say or what they think. It's interesting. Well, let's talk about, you mentioned hate speech. Let's talk about a couple of incidents that have happened in the UK recently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Count Dankula thing, for example, has been talked to death, and we don't want to really spend too much time sure. on, on the guy himself. But there are some implications that came out of that court case particularly, which I think... Yeah are hugely relevant to society. Do you want to tell, uh, tell the listeners and viewers, first of all, what actually happened briefly, and then... Yeah, very briefly, because it has been covered, hasn't yeah. it? Be very briefly, a man in Scotland um, called Marcus Meekin created a YouTube video where he taught his girlfriend's pug to perform a Nazi salute and to react in an excited way to the phrases, gas the Jews and Zeke Heil. 
Um, and there's even a, a moment where the dog is watching uh, an excerpt from Hitler's speeches, etc. So that's the joke. I'm really trying not to laugh because <laughs> yeah, I have exactly. watched the video and it's <laughs> unquestionably funny. If you laugh, you're a fascist. So, <laughs> I mean, or I mean, my my Jewish grandfather, great grandfather, died yep. fighting the let's Nazis. Just get that so in, yeah, let's so get that, that in. Okay. It's all fine. Mm. I'm allowed to laugh. Very interesting. We did. We. I mean, I've, I run a comedy night every month um, in London. We played the video last week, uh, and we actually prefaced it. The host uh, prefaced it by saying. You know, this probably isn't very funny. I mean, he didn't think it was funny. Uh, he says, I'm not going to tell you what to think. And then we played it, and the audience laughed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a Nazi Where pug. did you it's find so many Nazis? I know. Yeah. It's very funny. With a Jewish host as well. It's very interesting. But um, it's, uh, it's a pug. <laughs> and I think whenever this argument comes up, we have to keep in mind it's a pug. Yeah. Okay, now, people who haven't seen the video, okay, will, will tell you that it's the re repetition of the phrase, gas the Jews. Mm. It's a horrible phrase. That's the joke. Because it's a cute pug. And the joke is that he's using this really, really ghastly phrase that any, anyone would find inexcusable. But that is the joke, okay? Yeah. So whether you find it funny or not, or whether you find it offensive or not, is beside the point. No one, no one with, uh, with a reasonable IQ could ever, con con could ever deny that the intention was to be funny. Now, what is, what is troubling about this particular ruling? Um, and I don't want to get into the debates of whether it's funny or not. Or whether but it's, it's irrelevant, or not. isn't it? It's isn't irrelevant. Completely it is, irrelevant. It is irrelevant. The whole point about defending free speech is you have to defend it when people are saying things you don't like. Exactly. Otherwise, the, it's not free speech. The, the pr prosecution's contention in this case is that he is using humour as a guise to uh, disseminate anti-Semitic hatred. He's using a pug. Can we just remember that pug? <laughs> have to keep saying that, okay? And they are the stupidest of all the dogs. Well, there we go. <laughs> I wouldn't know about that. But um, <laughs> if if you are serious about uh, propagating Nazism, you're not going to use a pug. You're just not. Um, it, a it, German it, Shepherd, maybe. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it right, first uh, triggering moment of this yeah. podcast is well and truly done. It is an important point. I think that 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 this this particular case is a new benchmark. As I've said, there's lots and lots of cases where the Communications Act has been used to crimp to to uh, jail. Uh, people for making jokes. It happens all the time, but we don't hear about it. Mm. Uh, certainly people are prosecuted and investigated all the time, and there has been jail time served. Uh, we don't really hear about it. Um, this case is a bit more significant, firstly because the man in question self-identifies as a comedian. Again, there's all debates about, well, I don't think he's a comedian. It's irrelevant. Um, but it's, he's, he's, he's put up a comedic video, so that's the first thing. Secondly, the court has said explicitly that intention and context do not apply and do not matter. Well, if that is the case, then anyone making a joke could be in trouble. Okay, so Can you just say that again? Because I think people don't quite understand the whole meaning of that. Yeah. The okay. context and intention do not matter. The court, the court said they decide the context. They do not believe his intention. They decide the context. It doesn't matter. It's the repetition of that phrase. Now, bear in mind that this video went viral. There were three million views, not one complaint. Mm. Because people aren't stupid and they got what it was. Okay? Um, and then, then comes the argument, well, this is offensive to Jewish people. Who gets to decide that? Because there's an awful lot of Jewish people who found it funny, right? So there's that. Not one complaint. The police took it upon themselves to investigate this. And what they did is they actively sought people out who might be offended. So they approached the Scottish Council of the Jewish Communities and said, what do you think of this? <laughs> right? <laughs> and, then, and then what happens is, of course, they say, I find it offensive. Well, that's their right. Yeah. Yeah. I find things, things offensive, you know? Um, that's their right to find that offensive and to be upset by it, okay? But it's not the state's right to then imprison someone for it. Then, once the uh, the man from the uh, the council test from the Scottish Council of Jewish Communities testified in court, then you have these awful people online sending him anti-Semitic 
messages and abuse, which is a terrible thing to happen, right? But then the media retrospectively pretend that those messages came out of people incited by the video. It didn't happen. But it came out of the testimony. I'm not, I'm not in any way defending the abuse. But let's get the story right. People aren't watching this, this pug video and going out and thinking, right, I want to I attack Jewish people. That isn't, it's never happened and it wouldn't happen. So it's, it, it's, it is very, very troubling. But this is the point I'm making about hate speech and why it is so dangerous. Now, it's all very well you saying an imam standing up and calling for the deaths of homosexuals. It's a pretty clear cut. This is an, a nasty, horrible guy. Now, look, I don't want to live in a society where that person exists or says what he says, but I'd rather live in that society than a society where people can be thrown in prison for what they say. And that's why I make that, that, that point. Okay, and I know that some of you are uncomfortable, or you might be uncomfortable with that, but that's my broader point, which I'm willing to be persuaded out of, if you, if you can convince me. But in this case, the court decided that the, rep the repetition of the phrase, gas the Jews, without context, without intent, is tantamount to hate speech and incitement to violence. That, that was their conclusion, right? So what we have here is a kind of concept creep, right? And this is why I'm also troubled by hate speech. Because what if, okay, if you have that sort of case where we could say, oh, that, uh, that man is obviously hateful, and awful, and we put that under the bracket of hate speech, who then decides? Who then decides that me making a joke isn't hate speech as well? Because the parameters are constantly shifting, because the, the, the window is constantly getting bigger and bigger, then there, there comes a point where we're all potentially within that window. And that's why it's probably better on balance to not have hate speech, at all, uh, hate speech legislation at all, because the uh, potential for abuse is too great. The police, the Metropolitan Police have a, a guideline which you can check online about what hate speech is. And their definition of hate speech is that irrespective of the intent of the person, so long as someone deems something to have been offensive and also perceives that the person did it out of a prejudice or hatred for their sexuality, race or gender, that is enough to qualify as hate speech. So even if, even if the person did not mean that, even if it was unintentional, it can still be a crime. So it is so nebulous uh, that nobody in a free society is safe under that legislation. Okay, now I'm willing to have the debate about, well, someone calling explicitly for violence. That would be one thing, but I'm not confident that the state or, or the people in power or the police understand the difference between someone calling for violence explicitly and someone making a joke on Facebook. Well, that's an interesting thing because I was discussing this issue, this incident with Count Dankula with comedians, other comedians on Facebook and different things. And there were a lot of people I found who were very happy to defend the court's decision. Yeah, lots. And their argument seemed to be, well, first of all, I didn't like the joke, which, as you say, irrelevant. Yeah. But the other thing is w one incident in particular just blew my mind. I was talking to somebody and they said, well, the thing is, uh, I don't think he should have gone to prison. He just needed to get a clip around the ear, uh, old school style, and just teach him a lesson. Were you talking uh, to my dad on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> All he's the time. A, what do they, what do they mean? The well, he, he, and I said, well, you are now inciting violence, sarcastically. But yeah. Right? And they said, well, context matters. And well, I said, well, that's, that's the whole point. The core rule, the context doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, and, and people seem to miss this point entirely. If context doesn't matter, then even us discussing it, I've quoted the phrase he used a number of times. Right. If context doesn't matter, then I've just incited anti-Semitic hatred. I'd just like to publicly disassociate <laughs> myself <laughs> from anything yeah. that happens to Andrew. I, I would no. do that because I'm alt-right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, people don't listen. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but yes, you're right. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm fully understanding of comedians who don't want to ally themselves with this guy. Um, I understand, I'm not saying that if you don't, uh, I understand in the Jonathan Pye video we wrote about this, we have a line where it's like, where are the comedians, right? But that's a character delivering that line. Yeah. I'm not saying comedians have an obligation to stand up for anyone or anything, right? That's an individual matter. But when somebody sides with the court, actively sides with state authoritarianism, 
I have a problem with that. And, and I'm going to argue against that. I think that's, I think that's really dangerous. And it's self-defeating. And I can't believe people can't see it. One of the interesting things for me as well is this notion, and not just in the cantankular thing, but bro more broadly in society, there is this idea somehow that words can be violence. Words yeah. are violence sometimes. So people talk about the fact that basically it's like a force continuum almost. Like, first of all, you call me a derogatory name, yeah. and if that's okay, then you do something else, and if that's okay, then you're going to punch me in the street. Yeah. Now, how do you... What, what are your thoughts about We that? have to be able to separate words from violence. I mean, we, grew up, we all grew up with the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Um, now we believe the opposite. Um, why? Nobody is denying that words can cause psychological harm. Some of the most uh, distressing experiences of my life have been from things that people have said, not things people have done. Mm. Um, so nobody uh, denies that, okay? But there has to be a distinction b between words and violence because when you are upset by words, it is something that you have emotionally done do you know it's, it's a way that you have interpreted uh, something okay um a physical attack is a different level isn't it i would have thought well, well i mean the problem is as well is that certain words that some people use racial slurs yeah uh, they are they are they, they do cause damage and they are yeah. almost a form of violence could you not agree um like if so, you know if uh, it's like someone, I, I if someone hits agree. you on the head yeah. they're damaging your brain yeah. yeah right if someone says something nasty i'm i'm not i don't agree with this argument at all but i'm yeah, just yeah, 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 yeah. just propagating like, like for, for instance like, like let's you know <laughs> like for instance if if you call an asian person a paki that means that, that that is a form of violence is it not that is you trying to intimidate them yeah. that's you trying to upset them that's you trying to engender in them a negative reaction. You're trying to hurt them. What you've just ex uh, described is is uh, unforgivable antisocial behaviour. Yeah. Not violence. I don't. I don't see uh, th them as the same. I think it's a failure of socialisation as well. I mean, I, I, I believe in adult autonomy 100%, but I believe at schools we need to we need to have the debates about how children are socialised, uh, what terms are. Then we need to be able to register objections to certain terminology and, cer and the ways in which we express ourselves and just treating people with respect. That, you know, what you are describing is someone who has not been successfully uh, socialised, I would say. Um, but I think we have to draw those distinctions. I, I think we do. Because for one thing, it's often used as a pretext to justify preemptive violence mm. so like antifa yeah what doing yes now. a good example so they will say words are violence so that justifies us pepper spraying a trump supporter as happened in berkeley i think as yeah. happened yeah. in berkeley and many other places mm. it justifies us kicking down the doors and and, ch and charging into somebody's meeting or someone's peaceful uh, uh discussion event right it justifies the violence then uh, that's dangerous so that's why i think we have to have whilst we have an acknowledgement that words hurt and can and, and that we should be encouraging as a society responsibility in, in the way that we express ourselves and how we express ourselves and and calling for empathy and all of the rest of it really important um but the, the again the dangers the implications of conflating words of words and violence are too dangerous to contemplate and therefore we have to be able to make the distinction well, one interesting thing that just occurred to me in, in relation to what you said francis is that Actually, you don't need to use derogatory terms to hurt someone's feelings. No. Really. You, you could insult someone or really hurt them psychologically by using perfectly normal language. Yes. Uh, with that's not insulting in and of itself, but you are, you, you are 
diminishing their status or whatever it is that you're doing. You could insult someone and hurt them just by speaking normal words. Yeah. But, but in many ways, those words are a shortcut, aren't they? They are. So, for instance, right. you know, like yeah. if you use a racial... Well, I'm not going to use a word, but use a racial slur against a black person. Mm -hmm. You know, that I that is a word that we all know that has been, you know, used as a derogatory term for generations yeah. and comes from horrific oppression. Yeah. And immediately it's a shortcut to, for you to say to them, you are inferior to me. Right, so we, it has baggage. Language has baggage and yeah. it has implications. And no, uh, no, but I don't think anybody is, is, is denying that. Um, and so it, it, it is difficult. But I think your argument, though, is based on this utopian idea that if we police people's language and the words that we are and are not allowed to say, suddenly we will fix society. And all of the people who have these instincts that are unpleasant will disappear. But it won't happen. It won't happen. And I, I, I think I'm more comfortable, you know, I don't like when people use horrible words against me as they as they have done many times. Uh, it's a horrible experience. It's really unpleasant. I'm quite a sensitive person, in spite of the fact I probably don't seem that way. Um, <laughs> but you know, in a sense, that is part of life. That human beings are complex creatures, and some of us are not going to be particularly pleasant creatures. You learn who to avoid. Uh, you learn how to get out of certain situations. Um, I just think the implications of criminalizing speech are so are so vast. Uh, that, and I'm not saying we tolerate these sort of people who use this kind of language. You challenge them, or you reject them, or you don't you don't associate with them. All of the rest of you, they become pariahs. Thankfully, I think that is the case. I mean, I think if you start going on Twitter and using racial slurs, you're not going to get a job anywhere anytime soon. Mm. That you you will be a pariah. We live in a society where we where that is the case. It's 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 become the case. Uh, would you not agree with that? I, th I think we are definitely. No, I don't know anybody. I don't. I could literally not name anybody that I've ever encountered uh, on a personal level who thinks that uh, calling a racial minority a term like that is acceptable. I don't. I wouldn't associate with that sort of person. It's something I think racism is just unforgivable. I couldn't. I couldn't be a friend or even an acquaintance with someone who had mm. those instincts. But uh, isn't also part of that in that you live in this sort of uh, again? I'm going to use terms, but lefty liberal. Uh, bubble in London, you know, where all your friends are, you know, part. I'm, again, I'm generalising. But do I? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I do. I mean, this is a big assumption there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, j partly because of my family background, that I, I know people from all sorts yeah. of life. My, my family are not uh, from this uh, London uh, metropolitan elite. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're sort of working class Northern Irish people. Yeah, th th this isn't. And I'm not saying that gives me license or whatever. But I'm just saying that. My my experience of people is is perhaps a bit more broad than you assume. Yeah, but even if it even if it wasn't, I hope my opinion I think would be the same. So we were talking. We've been talking about a lot recently. You've uh, recently released a video. Uh, um, well, Jonathan Pye has. Uh, what you're talking about the gender pay gap, and it called a uh, widespread. Uh, Outrage, I think, is the right word to use. Well, it, I mean, it depends on who you look yeah. at. I mean, it, it, it followed off the back of the video we did about the Nazi pug, yep. which I think probably caused more outrage. It was unfortunate because we'd written the video a few weeks before that. It just so happened that the, the <laughs> pug thing happened. And then we, we had to release this at this time because it was ready to go. And it looked like we were being deliberately provocative doing two consecutive uh, pieces like that. Because um, that was the narrative, actually, it has been, isn't it? Like, you've gone all right. Like, Jonathan oh. Pye has gone all right. Sure. Yeah, but he's actually been criticizing the left for ages. I mean, yeah, you, hasn't he? You both. I mean, you have the two of you. Yeah, together. absolutely. I mean, I, I, if if you're familiar with the back catalogue, uh, Jonathan Pye is a lefty 
who bashes the Tories more than anyone else, the Tories and Trump more than anyone else. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you're going to pick out these few videos where he's, I mean, he does uh, attack the left for where the left is going wrong because he cares about where the left is going wrong. So that makes sense uh, to me. Um, but the trouble is, I suppose, that the videos that cause uh, contention are the ones that people remember or know about, and maybe they don't watch all, all of the other ones, mm. so they don't get that, that, that perspective, perhaps. I don't so know. on the gender pay gap, you made a video where Jonathan Pye interviews what he thinks is a, is a feminist academic yep. who's, who's releasing a book, and he's asking her, expecting her to provide the usual narrative about the gender pay gap. Right, exactly. And what he c encounters and very quickly gets frustrated by is that she's more of a second-way feminist than a third-way feminist. In that's other exactly words, right. she's not into the whole victimhood thing that's now so popular, which, wha which is what you've been talking about. Right, so it's a satire on the media as well. The, the media have an expectation of a certain narrative that they have to produce, mm -hmm. and then when they're confronted with something they're not familiar with, they don't know what to do. So it's a satirical piece. Yeah. And what was the response to that? Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, <Deep breath. laughs> some people weren't... weren't I love I'm weren't loving happy. the body language. Yeah, using I know. <laughs> I, I, some people weren't happy. I sort of stayed out of this one quite a bit when when the when people started attacking us on Twitter. Um, but yes, there was a bit of a backlash uh, from certain feminist groups and um, from certain feminist figures and comedians more than anything. I, I mean, I didn't get involved, um, but I, I am aware of uh, lots of threads that appeared on Facebook in which I was described as an alt-right, anti-feminist, all the rest of it, because friends of mine keep sending me screenshots <laughs> and say, look, look what these people are saying about you. And it's, and it's good it, to have friends, eh? Yeah, mm. they seem and to take a certain <laughs> delight in it as well. It's, it's, it is odd. It's odd that for a start, a piece of fiction, a piece of satire uh, can generate that kind of response. Um, um, but it's also, I'm up for the debate you know, if, if anyone wants to email me and say why I'm wrong, great, and we'll talk about it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, and also what was very interesting on all these threads I saw, all these arguments, not once did anyone present a coherent counter argument to any argument that was made in the video, not once. Uh, it was just ad hominem. It was just, you're alt right, you're anti feminist. Uh, well, I'm not. Uh, and I always uh, called myself a feminist, always have. Um, I worry now that to use the word means that, because the word is so currently being used, to describe a kind of victim-centered feminism, uh, whereas I believe feminism is about equality and empowerment. And unfortunately, that makes me an old-fashioned kind of feminist. But on the other hand, I shouldn't allow people to misappropriate the word. So in a sense, I should hold on to it. But um, so that's what we were... I mean, the character in that uh, video is, as you say, uh, a feminist who, who hates the fact, for instance, that the BBC have promoted an app for your phone that will help women to speak up in meetings. And we make the point that this is horribly patronizing. I mean, some of my female friends found this the most disgusting uh, thing, but it's hailed as the BBC as this really progressive, uh, wonderful thing. I would say that victim-centered feminism, although the people who promote it are not, of course, misogynists, but it, the premise of it is misogynist. The premise of it is that women are weaker and need extra protection, um, and that's why I don't agree with it. It's interesting because uh, some of the episodes we'll be releasing probably after this one, we've talked to several uh, very accomplished women who've been political advisors or economists or business p people. And some of the stories they have told us is there's unquestionably discrimination against mm -hmm. women, right? Th it does happen. We, there yeah. are situations in which women are paid less, not only for the same work, but actually for jobs that they do better than the men who are there competing against. And when that happens, it is illegal and, and tribunals ensue. Right, so so not uh, always. Th that's been from what we've most, been told. For the most part, when when you have, um, but no, but also nobody is suggesting. I've certainly never suggested that there isn't discrimination against women in the workplace. Uh, uh, in fact, the point is made explicitly in the video 
I've never suggested that. Well, I'm not saying you have suggested um, it. What I'm actually saying is that that has been the smear that's been used against the whole video, which actually tries to make some factual points about the causes of the gender the, pay gap. If you want to boil down the, uh, the main uh, point of the video, is actually about media. It's, a, it's actually sat on the media. Uh, the Sky News survey that found that 70% of people in this country believe that women and men are routinely paid differently for the same work. Now, that is factually incorrect. Mm. And it wouldn't be a story if it was just a few people. But it, the fact that it's 70% of people, now that suggests that the media is misrepresenting this, and they are misrepresenting this. The headlines, in all of these stories that Tom and I came across while we were working on this, it's always, oh, men at HSBC paid more than women, etc. Men at Ryanair paid more than women. And then the articles themselves would explain why. Would explain the, the, the fact that there are more men in, in higher paying, but there are more male pilots than, and there are more female stewards, for, for instance, in, in the case of, of Ryanair. And the person who flies the plane generally gets paid more than the person who makes the tea, right? Yeah. Now, that happens. Then you have another debate about, well, why is that the case? right? But that's a different debate. Why is it that women uh, tend to make different choices or why is it that women tend to end up in different jobs, right? And there, doubtless there's an element of discrimination involved there. Uh, there's an element. There's all sorts of possible variables going on there. The video does not make a distinction about that. The video actually says, fine, let's have that debate. Let's have that debate. Uh, that wasn't what we were talking about. We were talking about the fundamental misunderstanding uh, about e the, the, the media's deliberate conflation of equal pay and a gender pay gap. Mm. That's what we were saying, which is factually true. No one's been able to refute it yet. People keep sending me articles which just back up my point, and they think that they're refuting it, but they're backing up my point. So I don't think... Um, I, I think it's a misunderstanding of what the video is, is saying. I'm all for having debates about uh, structural imbalances. Is it, uh, you know, are there sort of these sort of, I, I'm very skeptical about it because I've studied post-structuralism and I think it's a very reductive uh, view of the world. And I think what we're seeing at the moment is a kind of watered down, half understood version of this Foucauldian idea of power networks that, that sort of infest society. Um, and I'm very skeptical about it. Um, and I don't think, I think power explains some things, but it doesn't explain everything. And it certainly doesn't explain most things. I think it's so. The, the, the problem with the current ideology is everything is to do with power. So first we work out whether you're female, male, whether you're what, what race you are, what sexuality you are. Then we try and put you on a kind of grid to see where you fit in in the power structure. And that's how. We, and we forget about class, forget about money and opportunity. Get rid of that. Doesn't matter. And all of these things are intersecting. Okay. And then we kind of work out where you are, and that explains everything. Like every ideology, which is a simplification of of, of the world. That's why anyone who subscribes to an ideology wholeheartedly uh, is failing because it is, a, it is inherently simplifying, oversimplifying very complex ideas. When you try and explain everything away because of power structures, these nebulous power structures that we can't pin down, uh, that is not a convincing stance in my view because it, it must ignore all kinds of factors. So that's what we're sort of... So actually, we were trying to open up a debate we were saying we can all agree, and we can all agree, I think, that it is illegal to pay men and women differently for the same work. That is a fact. So let's just start by that at that point, and then we discuss why. Why people end up in different roles. That's a different debate. We didn't have that debate. But people attacked us as though we were saying there's no such thing as sexism, there's no such thing as discrimination, uh, we don't need to talk about it anymore, right? That's, that seemed to be the criticism, which is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the video did mm. and again what it shows is, is that people are just so polarized that all they can do is simplify oversimplify their opponent's view and then attack a straw man argument just attack something that attack a point that neither tom nor i were saying right 
do you think a lot of the reason that th these sort of arguments happen and people get so upset is because they, they don't, like you said, they don't engage with the point you're trying to make because that takes time. Yeah. Really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, not the sh I'm not, I'm sort of probably average in terms of intelligence, but I in order for me to really understand an argument, I have to read something three or four times. Yeah. I have to go away and I have to think about it and I have to mull it over in my head, you know, whereas it's much easier to go and read something to then have an emotional response to it and then do a rebuttal in yeah. 40 seconds, whatever it is, or a minute. And yeah. actually, it takes real time for something to be able to truly understand something. Well, that's why we do the show, is because we're yeah. trying to get to the bottom yeah. of some of these well, issues. You can't have a debate in 280 characters. No, no. Like, so, so absolutely, that's right. Um, partly it is uh, people don't know enough. They, they often Some of the debates I've seen about th this video... People literally do not know what they are talking about. And I, I bet you a lot like, of them haven't seen the video. Well, there's that possibly. I don't know. That's but, been but, my but experience with a lot of these discussions. People, a lot of people argue about stuff they haven't actually watched. That's 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 almost certainly the case. Um, but I'm willing to accept that I, you know, come with me, come at me with the facts, and let's talk about the facts. And maybe I'm wrong. And then if you present facts that prove I'm wrong, so be it. I accept that. Um, but but that's but yes, you're right. It's a it's an oversimplified oversimplified form of form of argument, uh, and that that is a it is hard, isn't it? It is. L I learning mean, about stuff and... <laughs> well, well, but, but this is it. You know, like when people talk about the gender wage gap. I mean, I wouldn't get involved in it because I don't know enough about it. Right. I, I'm, I'm not... I mean, I read like, The Garden. I read The Times pretty much every day. But yeah. I wouldn't... I wouldn't say that I'm an expert on it. It's surely not enough to then go and spout my opinion all over the internet. Well, also, you wouldn't assume that someone who's raising an objection is inherently evil for doing so. Right? Oh, yeah, I would with that. Sorry, Andrew. The, yeah. the interesting thing for me I wanted to ask you about this video as well was that um, one of the main arguments that I saw being made about mm. it was that here were two men who'd got a woman yeah. to spout their misogynistic opinions <laughs> for them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and one of the interesting things that I pointed out was, have you considered the possibility that maybe she agrees with what she's saying? I mean, I don't know if the actress that you had agrees or not, but yeah, I mean, that was the argument that I saw popping up probably more than anything. Well, I mean, it's very patronizing, isn't it, to assume that a woman who uh, did an acting job uh, didn't consent to what they were doing. I mean, it's, 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 it's a bizarre thing to me. And also, again, I mean, this goes back to what we we're saying about identity politics. Well, if, you, if you're saying that this argument is invalid because it was two men who wrote the script, what happens when I can introduce you, as I can, uh, to women who have uh, similar feelings to the character? I could introduce you to a number tomorrow. Well, we know that. So right? Internalized so, yeah. misogyny. I mean, right. Yeah. Oh, it's internalized misogyny. <laughs> yeah. which, again, yeah. which, again, is a point that we recognized in the, in, in the video. Mm. Um, and because she dismisses that as patronizing yeah. bollocks. It is patronizing bollocks. I think bollocks. that's what yeah. she says. But that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's another strategy to avoid the argument. Mm. Right? So I call you alt-right. I say you're suffering from internalized misogyny. Therefore, I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to bother engaging with the argument. That, it's a strategy. It, it's not good enough. Um, so, yeah, that, that, you're right. I heard that again and again and again. It's the flaw of identity politics in its current form, is that it can't see beyond the person to the point. It, it, it can only focus on that. And it's, a, it's, it's why anyone who peddles those kind of politics can never win an argument. They think they won it, but they didn't win it. Uh, and also, no one is persuaded that way. No one. So where do we go? I mean, we've got a couple of minutes left. Where do we go from here? It sounds pretty bad, right? We're in a pretty, yeah. pretty difficult situation. I think education is the key. I really do. I think we need to uh, reinstate critical thinking at the heart of the national curriculum. I think uh, kids need to be taught that insulting someone or resorting to ad hominem attacks means you lose. Um, 
the assumption that people are wicked because they don't think the way that you do. We have to rid ourselves of that. Um, the, well, that's the, not the, happening. The, the no. opposite thing is happening right now. People right? Are so how do down. we counteract what's right. happening now? I don't know. But 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 I, I, I know what I want to happen, but I don't know how to make it happen. Um, we need to stop the, the, the polarization. We need to stop that s- somehow. I mean, if you say we've got into kind of camps, into tribes, haven't we? So, for instance, if somebody tells you uh, their position on abortion, I bet 99% of the time you could guess what their position on every other political point is, right? Similarly with Brexit, right? People don't like me, me claiming to be on the left because I voted leave, for instance, and they, don't, they can't reconcile that. For me, on a personal level, I can't reconcile voting for a right-wing uh, corporate body to be anything other than a right-wing thing to do. So I can't reconcile being on the left with voting in favour of the EU. I can't. So, but that's my, that's my view. It's a separate issue. But the point is that the assumption is made. Okay, I write for Spiked. Okay, alt-right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I voted leave. Okay, right-wing. Right? You're completely wrong about this, but it doesn't matter because your simplified worldview, you can only... You can only deal in confirmation bias you can only deal in 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 your own assumptions being played out and and therefore you don't bother uh, addressing the, your opponent properly and in an adult manner that that is a problem but i think if i were to suggest a solution which i i don't know i think after trump for instance after after trump happened i was convinced and it's part of the reason we wrote the video i was convinced that the left would try and get its house in order but actually what's happened is everyone's just doubling down on all the same stuff and making it worse and worse and worse, and, and and pushing this form of identity politics, which is pernicious and divisive, and we need to somehow find a way. I think it comes from criticism within its own ranks. It has to be people on the left that address this stuff. For instance, just to, to make this point, because I think it's an important one, the, the question of free speech should be at the heart of anything, of anything left or right. It transcends left and right. But because the left have continually eroded free speech or allowed it to be eroded, and in some cases pushed for, its, um, uh, for it to be w- w- resisted, what you find is when people mention free speech, you assume it's a right-wing person. When I set up this free speech comedy night, and what we really mean by that is that you don't self-censor, we're encouraging people not to self-censor. The Sunday Telegraph wrote an article saying, thank God we've got a right-wing comedy night. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now, it's run by two lefties. <laughs> we do have some right-wing people, very few, because you couldn't fill a bill. Uh, we have we have had a few right wing people which we want we want we want people from all right. backgrounds yeah, that's yeah, the absolutely. point yeah. but actually so far it has been mostly people on the left mm. to in truth um, but that assumption tells us a lot yeah. that that the connection of free speech because what happened is the left created a vacuum around this issue they they stopped defending the principle and then the right swooped in and now you've got people like Tommy Robinson Katie Hopkins God you've got these people defending uh, and they're, they're right on the principle this is the, this is the problem the reason why so many people and comedians don't want to defend Count Dankula is because he's associated with Tommy Robinson the reason that association exists is because subsequent to the trial remember that it doesn't predate the trial Tommy Robinson came in to defend him right so now we can't defend him because it's been the mantle's been seized by the right what's going on there mm. no we have to be able to say actually this principle is bigger than Robinson it's bigger than anyone it's bigger than left and right. And it's, a, it's the, I'm so frustrated. I'm more frustrated with the failings of the left than I am of the right because I'm from the left. I know what the failings of the right are. And people often criticize me, so why aren't you slagging off the right all the time? Because it's a given to me. Like, I know where they're going wrong. And, and I, think, I think if we are going to get out of this quagmire, it has to be the left that put its own house in order. And the first step on that is ridding ourselves of this form of identity politics because we're dividing everyone up and we're creating a lot of resentment and we are not convincing anyone you know, if you just block everyone on Twitter who, who has a different opinion than you, well, are you really serious about your convictions then? Because you're obviously not prepared to attempt to uh, persuade anyone. 
And oh. I, I think that's a perfect way to end it, actually. Absolutely. Fantastic stuff. So before you go, thank you very much, Andrew. I think you're you. absolutely brilliant. Is there anything that you would like to plug, whether it's your Twitter handle, whether it's Spike, whatever it is? Oh, well, I don't know. I'm on Twitter. Andrew Doyle underscore com. So if you want to send abuse <laughs> or <laughs> any kind of accusations of I Nazi will. sympathies, <laughs> yeah. that's where you go for that. Yeah. I've had a lot of that recently. It's a lot of fun. Um, uh, yeah. And What's your comedy night called? And where uh, is it's it? It's called Comedy Unleashed. And it's every month at the Backyard Comedy Club um, in Bethnal Green. And it's the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, and we've got some great lineups. We've got Mo Bobby Mayer is doing the next one. Uh, we've got Shazia Mirza. Uh, Jonathan Pye is going to come and do one. Um, and uh, Jeff Norcott. Some very, very uh, f fantastic acts. Uh, so, yeah, do, do come along to that. I've got a show on at the Soho Theatre in July. Can I plug that? Yes, of course yeah, you yeah. can. Yeah. You, you're plugging it right now. The cameras yeah, are rolling. Great. It's called keep... Thought Crimes, uh, obviously. Um, and What's uh, that about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? It's just a random title I just chose. Um, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's about... Um, it's a show I did in Edinburgh last year, and it's, uh, a lot of it is rooted in the idea of all the friends I lost over Brexit. Uh, because of people's uh, just unwillingness to debate, or you know, and and just to make assumptions, so it's, it's it sounds very worthy. And actually, because this has been such a non-comedic discussion, uh, I would like to emphasise that when I write comedy, it's quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> when I talk off stage, it's it's not. <laughs> so I would say as well, it did get excellent reviews. So go along and yeah. see it. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for coming along. I'm Constantine Kitchen. You can find me on Twitter at Constantine Kitchen. Uh, I'm Francis Foster. You can find me on Twitter at Failing Human. Um, yeah, send me abuse as well. <laughs> Mo mostly people just do it about my face or my general comedy. But so yeah. subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on the iTunes, and do whatever it is to, to yes, stay with us. Yeah, and absolutely, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, download it. Follow us at TriggerPod, whether it's uh, Twitter or Instagram. And uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Have a lovely week. <laughs>